The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's financial objectives, financial situation, or needs. Listeners should obtain independent advice before making any financial decisions. G'day, this is Barry Fitzgerald, Garen Perro columnist for Stockhead. Welcome to another edition of the Explorers Podcast. Today we're catching up again with Venture Minerals. The code is VMS, last traded at around two and a half cents for a market cap of $43 million. Now, I'm sure listeners will remember that the flagship project is the Mount Lindsay Tin Tungsten Project in Tasmania. Uh, but uh, it's also got a big portfolio over there in the West, covering um, Jewelamar style nickel copper PGE type targets, plus Golden Grove copper gold targets. Just to uh, backtrack a bit to Mount Lindsay, there's been a bit of excitement there recently on the rare earths front. So a lot to get through here today, so I won't mess around, and I welcome Andrew Radonjic back to the uh, back to the podcast. G'day, Andrew. Good to catch up again, Barry. Right, Andrew, um, interesting times for the company. Uh, like all juniors, uh, been feeling the heat of the share market in recent months, but uh, it looks to me like you're gathering a bit of a head of steam at uh, Mount Lindsay. Tell us uh, what the progress is there on the underground PFS study that you've got underway. Well, look, uh, we've had the, the samples in the, in the labs for near on six months now. So, uh, like, everything's slow in terms of everyone's busy and, and assays and all that. But, uh, you know, we're getting to the back end of that now and and we're starting to get, uh, I suppose, that, that new, updated, much more simplified, gravity-focused spreadsheet together now. So, or mm-hmm. I'll say um, flow sheet. And, uh, and that will allow us to, uh, you know, once we've got that, the capex and, and operating costs and, Start plugging that into the optimization, the mine design uh, for the underground mine design. So, yeah, we should be uh, getting starting to get some information. You know, initially probably around a process flow sheet or new flow sheet uh, shortly. Right, and just give listeners a reminder of uh, the significance of the scale of the deposit you have there, and uh, I, I guess uh, more interestingly, some of the pro- uh, success you're having on the exploration front. Well, look, uh, we've got in excess of 80,000 tonnes of tin metal in, in resources um, and we've got about 3.2 million metric tonne units uh, of, of tungsten trioxide. So it's kind of like having a third of a King Island deposit uh, mixed up with, a, with our tin deposit and, and around about 15% of rock we can generate a 65% con from the magnetite. So... It's a fairly, a fairly uh, significant, uh, it's two SCARN deposits uh, in parallel, 150 metres apart. So big alteration zones. And, and we initially focused in 2012 on doing a, an open pit feasibility study. And we've got about 14 million tonnes of reserves reported back then. But it's a much larger CapEx scenario, big open pit, significant hmm. footprint. Um, so the reason to go is to focus on that high grade core, probably running around that sort of four to five million tonnes, but very much dependent upon how we optimise because what happens is that that if uh, revenue goes up or costs go down, uh, Barry becomes quicker quite quickly. So uh, so we're obviously focusing on those things. And on the exploration front, you've been uh, twisting away there. Uh, any excitement? Well, look, uh, we, we had a bit of excitement last year. We, we drilled a long strike to Mount Lindsay and, and hit uh, some very similar style mineralisation, a lot higher up than we'd expected, which is good. We haven't followed that hole up and we also had some success 
along the Renison mine sequence. So for those of you who don't know, we're a long strike to the Renison Belt tin mine, Australia's only tin mine. Uh, certainly a world-class asset, over half a million tonnes of tin, contained tin metal. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we started hitting sort of scar mineralisation in the first hole there. And then we moved for about six months from about this time last year through to about Easter, just collecting about 10 tonnes of metallurgical sample for the, for the process we just we spoke about previously. But we're back there drilling some holes now and the and, uh, exciting part, and you touched on the rare earth previously, is that part of that drilling, um, we had that Niton tool or the handheld XRF machine uh, handy and there was a mineral that the geologist couldn't identify and he, and he um, you know, zapped it, if you like, and we mm-hmm. got some high, you know, high neodymium values and, and that's machine only does about four out of 14 rare earth elements and it was coincidental with high phosphorus so we went back to the old data set as you do and did, did a bit of data mining and and the reward prospect which is a long strike uh, which is underneath an old alluvial tin field it's about half a million tons of 0.9 percent tin mm-hmm. lit up like a christmas tree and we went back and you know, a lot of the sample packets have uh, somewhat deteriorated either either eaten by some marsupial or, uh, or, or got wet, et cetera, and, and a couple of moves. Uh, but we managed to dig up initially about a batch of 39 samples. And we were getting, you know, plus 1,000 ppm on a regular basis. That's total rare earth. So kind of like the grades that everyone else is, more rare earth companies are, are talking about. But the great thing about this, it's sitting in the hanging wall just above the tin zone. So it's effectively sitting in, in rocky be mining in, in, in an open pit scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, as waste products, all this clay, it's, again, it's clay hosted. So right. um, we we have no idea of dimensions, scale, it's open in all directions. And we, we've we only had one rig drilling five days a week, a uh, single shift. It's been pretty slow going as far as, it's almost like watching grass grow, to be honest with you. But, um, you know, it's kind of, we switched the rig back on and, and just trying to get a bit more detail in terms of what orientation this may be going. But uh, it's opened up a fantastic opportunity. and And... Like I said, an announcement. You know, Tasmania is is difficult terrain to explore, and hence there's great opportunities. And there's a whole, there's a half a dozen world class deposits down there with various commodities. So why not rare earths? So temptation would be to uh, go chasing the rare earths like no tomorrow. The market switched on to the uh, potential of these things, but how distracted are you going to let yourself be, or will it be a, a dual focus going forward now? The tin tungsten slash rare earths. Well, look, we have. Plenty of uh, tin and tungsten to get on. We did what we call like a stage one mine plan, which probably Mm -hmm. over about eight to 10 years mine life. We wanted to go and start early in exploring, but we are getting a second rig. It's been a bit of a, you know, trial, if you like, trying to achieve that. And and it's not about drill rigs, it's about people. And and we've managed to to get one. We expect to see that in the coming weeks start up. And we've got some co-funding from the government in Tasmania. Uh, We've got an interesting target out to the west of uh, Reward where where we've got this uh, rare earth mineralization um you know and that's a, that's a target which is got some rare earth potential along with tin um we've got also a nickel and copper targets out to the east of mount Lindsay. Uh, there's a huge two huge em responses which was from work we did back in in 2019 and we just haven't got around to drilling them but uh, we got co-funding to drill two of those three targets um, so that second rig was going to focus on that. The rig that's doing the rare earth work now will drill a hole or two, to, but essentially get back onto drilling a renaissance mine sequence to try and sort of unlock a, a new tin discovery. 
So potentially, at least in the future, um, you could be producing tin, tungsten, and a rare earth concentrate, could you? Well, if you're going to be processing, or, or should I say, mining it anyway, um, you know, putting in a, an additional circuit to uh, to concentrate the rare earths would be uh, would, would make a lot of sense. Uh, early days, Barry, but uh, you know, let's, let's see what we uh, what we end up with. Well, you mentioned there, uh, Tassie, of course, the northwest there, very rugged part of the world, but infrastructure-wise, uh, much better than operating in uh, the back blocks of WA. Just give us a rundown on some of the infrastructure that you'd be able to tap into as Mount Lindsay gets advanced. There's 140 years of mining, you know, household names like Renison Bell, Mount Lyle, Rosebury, Savage River. Um, so there's a fair bit of infrastructure because those mines have been operating for, for over a century. But we have Mount Lindsay, um, and all our projects are located between two uh, hydroelectric dams. We've, we've got that green renewable energy basically yeah. going through our project area. Uh, so we've got bitumen roads, we've got power, we've got rail if we want to use it as well. We're only 130 kilometres from the coast of where, where the Port of Bernie is. Um, so, you know, Renison obviously uh, uh, sells its tin concentrate through there. So, you know, we can tap into this great, you know, mining infrastructure network that's, that exists in the west coast of Tasmania, which I suppose a lot of people don't really know about. But so we're very fortunate, fortuitous there that uh, we can develop an asset. Yeah, you can... You can be modest in size and, and, and yet your infrastructure costs uh, are not not great. So that helps you build your first project and, and uh, hopefully, like many other projects, we can find more and turn this into a multi-generational opportunity. Mm, with the rare earths as a potential sweetener. Absolutely. I think the rare earth story uh, amongst investors is very well known nowadays. Tin and tungsten not not so well known. And you mentioned we've only, Australia only has the one tin mine at the moment. And you also mentioned the King Island project that's uh, being redeveloped, not far off production. So what's the uh, what's the current state of the tin and tungsten markets and what's the outlook? Well, look, uh, we, we've had some pretty good times uh, recently. Um, obviously, uh, the base metals you know, like nickel and, and copper and, and tin have all suffered uh, quite significant losses over the last six months. You know, we're talking about tin price to break $50,000 in, in March, uh, which was coincidental with the the spike in nickel over a hundred thousand, but you know tin's back at uh, just above ten year averages. So we've got to remember we're not sort of down fourteen thousand like it was in twenty sixteen. So tin's main use is solder. Everything that's electronic or has circuitry in it needs solder to 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 glue it all together to be conductive. So there's only three cents of tin sitting in your mobile phone, but without it, it doesn't work. So uh, the tin price goes to a hundred thousand, for example. It's 15 cents worth of tin. So, you know, look, yeah. uh, it's a very, very important, but you don't need a lot of it. It's called the spice metal. Um, so if you believe in EVs, production continuing, the decarbonisation of the economy, electrification, everything. So tin's going to play a very important part. But the thing about tin is that half it comes from alluvial sources, which are not responsibly sourced. So Wood McKenzie did a report back in uh, April last year and 90, over 90% of the world's uh, tin comes from jurisdictions which are high risk in terms of ESG. Right. Now, Tasmania is already net zero emissions, so we're in a great place to produce a responsibly sourced tin product. So I can see tin, if you if you look at that thematic, uh, very much uh, goes hand in hand with the future. Uh, tungsten's a little bit like a rare earth in terms of China controls controls the market. At one stage, um, the US had a strategic stockpile when there was a Cold War. As we all see now, there's another Cold War developing with China and China 
uh, controls of the tungsten and and all of a sudden places like the US and and even as well Europe will be chasing not only product but ESG source product and I think you know we're we're very well positioned uh, where we are um, and tungsten for, for you don't know it's, it's a little bit unusual it's tungsten carbide drill bits it's steel hardening it's in semiconductors and I suppose unfortunate flavour of, of current situation in Ukraine, it's war, it's useful warfare, it's armour planning, armour piercing. So it's it's a very strategic metal. Price-wise, tungsten, uh, I know it was up 60% or so over a couple of years. Is it holding up the higher levels? It um, hasn't changed much over over this sort of uh, very, it doesn't behave like, like other mm-hmm. minerals, um, condensed to its own tune, but uh, it's sitting almost still 90% higher than it was in the lows of 2016. So um, so the price okay. is quite good and the exchange rates are obviously at the moment is helping that. Right. And right in remembering, I think uh, it was Rio Tinto um, a few years back did a sort of sensitivity study on uh, which metals would benefit most from the electric vehicle revolution or the, the you know, the electrification of everything basically and tin because of its um, electrical contact uh, properties was was it number one or two it was number one and uh and tungsten was number seven actually which i think if you, if you go down just a little bit further i was a uh, very encouraged to see that so uh yeah now tin is uh body massachusetts institute of technology an independent group did that did that uh, work in 2018 for rio so uh yeah look i, I suppose it's it's maybe stating the uh, the blooming obvious but uh unfortunately tin's kind of always ever been thought about as a the tin cans and all that, and that's yep. a very small mm-hmm. part of the use. And you're talking about a, a very micron thick layering on the tin just to stop it from uh, from rusting, essentially. But you know, when you talk about tin foil sitting in solar panels and it's in the anodes and lithium ion batteries, and like I said, it, the solder being all the circuitry, it's you know, like I said, very well connected. There's a there's about a, a kilo of tin sitting in a, in the chart in one of those fast charging stations. Uh, 5G network getting rolled out. All these examples are, are very much relied upon uh, in solder and, and, and tin to make it more efficient. Okay, so a big thematic there, and uh, you guys have one of the few uh, near-term development opportunities. So, okay. So let's uh, go over to WA, where we've got the Southwest Project, where you have uh, Chalice, the discoverer of the wonderful Julemar nickel, PGE, copper, et cetera, et cetera, um, on Perth's doorstep. You're in JV with them, and they've just committed to another $2.5 million exploration spend. What's the latest from that project in the JV? Yes, they did uh, They did a little bit of drilling uh, around about April, May this year. They essentially drilled targets that we'd identified in airborne EM using ground EM techniques. And, you know, we we were originally focused on a sort of like a VMS style uh, mineralization. And then we hit two and a half meters of massive sulfide containing uh, chunks of chalk pyrite, uh, copper and nickel and cobalt and some enormous palladium and gold, so, which we couldn't work out. This is pre-Julemar discovery. Um, and then, of course, three months post the, their discovery, then we got a knock on the door by Chalice and did the JV. But, but essentially, um, they decided to... Uh, do the ground EM on most of the targets and decided to drill what they thought were three priority targets. So I did recognise that there was uh, a VMS signature confirming what we had and, and, and very much mm-hmm. those three holes had the same thing but um, or similar sort of grades. But we were really interested in their approach to try and broaden the our geochemical coverage with a, something like a, over 600 uh, auger holes in the area. And mm-hmm. the exciting part about that is they... 
they found a couple of uh, magmatic uh, nickel copper PGE in, uh, targets uh, from that program. And, and interesting enough, one of them coincides with one of our airborne EM anomalies. And an interesting part about this, uh, Barry, if you, obviously when you look at the magnetic features, it was almost a dead ringer for, for Julemar. But when we did, when we flew the EM back in um, 2018, uh, we had power lines straight on top of the target, which disrupted the uh, the northern half of that area. So effectively, mm. um, no EM coverage. Uh, but we, we managed to get this EM just before it started being affected by these power lines. So and that coincides with one of these uh, auger anomalies. What also is interesting is when we we pegged a uh, some talc occurrences, and talc is actually uh, an alteration product of ultramafics, and usually it's uh, demagnetized, so you won't see it on the magnetics. And that runs parallel to this magnetic feature, and we picked it up as our response to when everyone else was looking for a neurology play uh, mm. at Julemar. And so we realised we had a magnetic feature look very similar, we pegged what we think was a parallel ultramorphic unit and 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 that lines up perfectly with the, the northwestern uh, target of the two targets that have been identified. So there could be a parallel zone sitting just next to the mag feature. And a mag feature may be as a guide, but not necessarily the source of the mineralisation, which I think mm-hmm. pretty much was what's happening up at uh, Julemar or Gonville, as they call it now. So I sort of, um, so we were... Weeks, we look forward to Chalice doing more broader uh, auger geochem work, doing some more ground EM work as, as we slowly change seasons and go into the uh, to the drier period uh, of the year, So, which is happening right now. So I'm expecting them to be back on the ground in the fourth quarter and then maybe with a bit of luck we'll see some drilling again around about that sort of Easter time uh, next year. Okay. Now... Um... You have another project in the west there, uh, Coolin with a K, another Julemar style. You've got a big footprint there now, so what's the forward plan there? Yeah, we just completed a, an airborne EM survey there. We've said as you said, the 600 square kilometres. So we've got a significant uh, footprint, got uh, two 20-kilometre long layered ultramafic complexes we've interpreted. There's four holes drilled 25 metres deep into some of this, some one of these mag features, and we got up to 180 ppb platinum palladium from one meter down and and and, and highly anomalous nickel and, and a little bit of cobalt so uh, we're, we're pretty excited about that area and uh, the em will hopefully help us focus on uh, the better areas we've done a reasonable coverage on in terms of some uh, soil sampling may need to do a bit more but uh, we might have some quite interesting targets pop up between now and christmas from that work so uh, you know we're pretty excited uh, the ultramafic belt that we're in actually runs straight towards Julemar, um, which is a little bit different to what they've been talking about. But we're not talking about Julemar style mineralisation here. We might be talking a bit more like Cambalda style. Uh, it's been quite different. So, um, but, um, you know, the area you asked, why hasn't it been explored? Well, it's been very much farming country. And let's say that uh, the generational changes allowed access a bit easier than it was about 20 or 30 years ago when we and Jordan's are getting chased off with at, uh, at gunpoint. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the benefit of uh, miners in the last 20 years, uh, improving their, their engagement uh, with the farmers. Oh, um, absolutely, yes. It used to be sort of confront- confrontational. Now it's more, you know, let's have the cup of tea first and kick back on the deck and talk things through. So yeah, I've noticed quite a few in areas that were previously locked off, effectively locked off by the farmers, the access is uh, improving. So that's good to see. Now, Golden Grove, 
an old favourite. I think it, the first discovery there went back to uh, 19, well, was it 1980s or thereabouts. You've got the what you call the Golden Grove North project, obviously north of uh, E29 Metals, uh, Golden Grove, uh, Copper Gold or Polymetallic operation there. So what are you up to there? Are you looking for another VMS uh, type deposit there? Yeah, look, we haven't done a lot of work there recently. Obviously, um, focus has been Mount Lindsay uh, and the only drilling has been there. But we did do a bit of ground EM um, in an area where it was too small to do an airborne EM survey. So we're just processing the data there at the moment. You know, it's uh, it's it's very much just been low-key. We're trying to get some targets prepared, VMS-style targets, you know, has, has been the main focus. But... Now, interesting drilling. We've got the Melville trend, gold trend, hitting the sort of northwestern corner of our tenure there. Uh, we've got some ultramafic rocks. It's uh, and we've got Lake Yalgu in a way, which makes it a bit more challenging. But uh, you know, it's a very interesting piece of ground, um, you know, Barry, and, and certainly, you know, I, I would like to be you know firing a drill rig uh, next year and, and, and testing some of those targets. But we've got Neptune, we've got Orcus. And Vulcan, so uh, you know we continue to do a little bit of work on there, uh, but the ground, certainly the ground EM results, will be interesting to see uh, what comes from that work. Okay, now very active uh, program. Um, I'm just wondering what the cash position is. Keep the momentum up. Yeah, look, the cash we raised just over ten million around Christmas time uh, last year, and. No, I was hoping to probably spend half of that on the pre-fees and the other half on exploration, but the exploration being, we haven't been able to sort of crank it up uh, as we sort of discussed. So, uh, you know, essentially cash positions around seven at the moment, pre-feasibility studies kind of nearing towards the end. So, um, you know, we're, we're reasonably healthy, but, uh, you know, these, these turbulent times, you, we want to obviously always want to be mindful of where, where we where dollars are getting spent as a as a junior explorer, and you know at this at this stage uh, the focus continues to be Mount Lindsay, but you know if we we're always always we don't have the blinkers on if there's opportunities in in the rare earth space or opportunities for a new discovery if it's another well Julemar uh, Chalice is looking after Julemar style uh, mm-hmm. opportunities at Chalice, but uh, cool and if we come up with some some nice you know compelling targets and we want to put a couple of holes in it and uh, you know we, we have that capability but uh, pre-feasibility is is the focus and uh, you know in terms of in terms of cash flow well we've always got that uh, opportunity on our iron ore mine there in Tasmania you know should circumstances change yep that's the uh, on uh, care and maintenance with a watching brief on iron ore prices exchange rates that's right the, the Riley iron ore mine you know it's about a year ago we shut it down after one shipment so I suppose we commissioned everything. We got paid. It was all you know, in a falling market, which was a testament to the quality of the offtake partner. But you know, shipping's come down about half. It's hard. And these turbulent times we've had recently, it's shipping's come down. Uh, exchange rates gone down, which is not good for shipping prices, but good for well, obviously for the uh, commodity prices. We're, we're talking about ninety-five to hundred dollars, but um, you know, the economics aren't too bad. They're not. We're not making money, but we're it's reasonably close. So if we can start. Generating a margin, the margin in, in, the, in the study we did in twenty nineteen was around about twenty Aussie dollars a ton. So, mm-hmm. you know, we've got still thirty eight shipments. So, if you can, if you can, we can make some money quickly. We're ready. We can turn it on quite quickly on a dry screening, mobile crushing screening plant scenario. There's about five shipments we've identified which we can get into quite quickly. There's a third of a shipment sitting on the crusher pad. There's a little bit in the shed at the port. So, you know, we could get a shipment out in a matter of, of weeks, Barry. 
if the price is right, of course. Yep. Um, it's a watching brief, but it's be like it's a free option to the um, to the iron yeah. price. Fully formed option to iron ore price upside. Okay. Now, a question that uh, interests me. To my way of thinking, you could, uh, I mentioned at the start, $43 million market cap. I would think uh, Mount Lindsay more than covers that, particularly when you throw in the adjacent uh, Riley Iron Ore project. So you could say that there's nothing in the share price at the moment for the Southwest, the Golden Grove, uh, and the uh, Coolan project, plus what you might come up with. I was just wondering, what's your sense of what's it going to take to break out of this uh, $40 million? sort of market cap well look um we're all at the mercy of what's happening you know the junior tends to suffer during these uh corrections more than mm. or in the town if you like um probably because they produce make revenue they make money from production which which we don't um so you know i think if we were to come an iron ore producer i think that have a huge impact and you know our market cap was 200 million dollars uh, on the 30th of june yeah there we go Chalice were, were, were moving forward. They've obviously come back a fair bit. Um, but any time we have any activity from Chalice on the ground, our, our share price spike. We hit 7.7 cents back in late March. Um, so I, I don't think we get probably full value for our tin tungsten project. And I think that's still, you know, the pre-feasibility study may be a bit of a catalyst in terms of delivering people some idea of what the value that project is in this underground scenario that we're we're focused on now. Yeah, particularly for those people watching uh, LME stockpiles of this, the material. It's uh, perilously low. It's it. not really going to improve. Absolutely. And, and when China opens up again, um, we will see that change. But uh, obviously, you know, recession-wise around the world is is, is a bit of an issue. But then and again, trying to secure supply of these sort of critical minerals. Uh, you know, tin is a critical mineral in most countries. And, uh, and it was just one of the lists in Australia. But... Uh, watch this space it may actually be may, may get a uh, a guernsey and mm. put into the critical minerals field but you know that that alone you know could be uh, an important catalyst for the, the share price all right there we go folks interesting story um andrew thanks for your time today you've explained this what's afoot for the company very well and so uh, good luck with it all we'll be watching with interest appreciate that barry and thanks again